Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to sit down and talk about artificial intelligence with Miku Hirano of Cinnamon. Now, Cinnamon is actually a great example of a successful Japanese startup pivot. When we first sat down with Miku four years ago, she had an innovative micro video sharing company called Tuya. And really, you should go back and listen to that episode. I've put a link on the show notes, and it was really a good one. Anyway, Miku basically started TikTok a few years before TikTok. And we talk about why things didn't work out. Why, even with the same idea, one startup will become a multi billion dollar brand and the other will pivot. Of course, the pivot to AI and the rebranding to Cinnamon has led to their current success in using AI to read and to understand common business forms. In fact, for reasons that Miku will explain during the interview, Japan is actually ahead of the US and China. In the area of business AI, we'll also talk about how attitudes towards women are changing here, and how Japanese men at traditional companies treat women founders, particularly women founders with children. And I think it might surprise you. I mean, it surprised me, and it surprised Miku as well. But you know, Miku tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Miku Hirano of Cinnamon, and it's great to have you back on the show again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here again. Well, so much has changed since it was like three years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I had a totally different business at that time. Well, not only a totally different business, but you've, you've gotten married, you've had、oh. two kids, and. Yeah. Yeah, and at that time, I think I was living in Taiwan, and、That's、now、right. my base is in Tokyo, so everything has changed. <laughs> and so, we're not even going to cover what we talked about last time.、Mm. Even though in the intro, I've told my listeners to go back and listen to the old show,、mm. I know some of them won't do it. <laughs> so, please listen to the last audio show. <laughs> okay, so guys, listen to Miku. It's a, it was a great show. <laughs> Um, but let's, let's just pick up where we left off because it's been a busy three years. Yes. Last time we talked, you were working on Tuya. Yes. Which was this great seven second video sharing startup. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what happened? Tuya was a video sharing app, but unfortunately, Japanese business didn't go well. So, we couldn't get、uh, enough users to raise a fund. So, I closed the Taiwan office at the time. and... Let's, let's get back to that because, I mean, the, the, the mechanics of what happened are, are important. But、mm -hmm. I think what's more interesting is the idea, these seven second videos, was, it was a great idea. You, it was basically TikTok. Yes. A couple of years、yeah. before TikTok. Yeah. And this is something that happens so often. So, for example, like, 
Uber and Lyft were not the first companies to try that business model. Uh, Airbnb certainly wasn't the first company to try that business model. There's so much more involved than just having a great idea and, and a great team. And we'll, we'll get to how you're executing now, so we know it's a good team. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but why do you think that Tuya didn't take off where TikTok Became um, a worldwide craze. I see. So we got some users, and some of the users used Tuya, our app, every day. They took a video, uh, just like seven, seven second video, maybe seven times or eight times a day. So there are some active users. But I think Tuya doesn't have a power that our users want to tell to other friends. So, for example, TikTok, sometimes you find a very interesting, hilarious videos, right? And sometimes you show it to your friends. But on, on our app, we didn't have that part. So it was the, the key innovation, the key driver at TikTok, you think, was that, that integrated sharing yes. mechanism? Yeah, to other friends. All right. And what, what was the trigger? When did, what made you decide to say, Okay, we're shutting down Tuya, mm-hmm. and we're moving to AI. Uh, so that pivot didn't go that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very ugly, okay, well, to be honest. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> so what were the steps? How did it roll out? Okay, so our company was almost going bankrupt. So we found that our company will have no cash in two or three months. So we needed to change our business. And you were a pretty big company at that point, right? You had, how many employees did you have? Uh, we did have around 20. Okay. But I need to restructure maybe to the one-third of the company. And then I need to come back to Tokyo to survive the, some of the members. I need to earn money. So I came, to, came back to Tokyo. So in that point, I had two options. One is to raise another fund, and the other is to get cash, I mean, for sales. But for the first option, I guess my, I thought it wouldn't go well. We had a, just a failure business. So both me and Hajime, my co-founder Hajime, are serial entrepreneurs, but we couldn't make the second business well, right. I, yeah, I think especially in a, a business model like yours, raising funds at that point would be extremely difficult because the investors would say, well, you look, look, you, you tried it, it didn't work. Mm. Try something else. Did, did, you, did you try to raise funds or did you just... Uh, actually, I didn't try. Just figured that this is time to... Yeah, just finding, I mean, just uh, doing sales would be better. What kind of sales did you do? Uh, just system development. So at that first point, we didn't think about AI at all. So just we'll develop apps, we'll do JavaScript programming, get yeah, us business. Yeah, for somebody else to get money. I think most of entrepreneurs having engineering background have this kind of idea that if our business doesn't go well, we can do system development business and then we can survive. So we have that kind of thought. But actually, it didn't go well. It did not? No. What no. happened? It was really difficult. 
Yeah, so I do not have any sales experience. And also another reason, most of companies have experience, have system development company that they have already used. Mm. Right, so... Right, so they need a reason to start looking for a new vendor. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I improved the sales material that there was a page, things that we can make. And actually one of them was AI. The reaction of the potential clients got changed. You found something that their current vendors couldn't do. Yeah, and at that point, we totally forgot that both me and Hajime did research about AI when we were students. <laughs> we totally forgot about it. <laughs> you did your master's in AI, didn't Yeah, you? yeah, and even my co-founder had PhD in AI, deep learning, but <laughs> we totally forgot about it. <laughs> just, just too much stress of trying to keep the yeah, company going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so to, <laughs> to increase what we can do, I just wrote AI, then, their reaction changed, so I thought it might be a chance. So you started getting contracts, and then you just started retooling the company around AI? I, I started to get contracts from a couple of companies, so that is how we could survive. And I, and I guess from that interest, eventually you developed the Flax Scanner product. Exactly. So the idea of Flax Scanner, which is our flagship product, came from one of our projects. So one of the projects was extracting information from resume. And so who's using it now? What kind of companies? Ah, uh, yeah, so now more than 50 companies use Flag Scanner, mostly insurance companies and banks and manufacturers, including Toyota, Daiichi Insurance, uh, Nihon Insurance, so that kind of top tier Japanese huge enterprise. And, and what kind of documents are they using this on? So, for example, in an insurance company, they receive tons of documents. So, for example, the identification cards, or you need to send a document when you get into a hospital or when you have a car accident. So, they have yeah, millions of millions of paper documents. Certainly, the Using AI to read in paper forms is really valuable, particularly with the, the amount of data that's already on paper. But do you think this is kind of a, a transition step? Or, I mean, so for example, do you think eventually everything will just be digital to digital? Oh. Or do you think that, that we're going to be stuck with paper forms for a long, long time? Yeah, so as you know, uh, most of the companies have tried to reduce papers for maybe the past yeah. 20 years. At but, least, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't go well. No. And yeah, of course, uh, some of them is getting digitized. But uh, yeah, we use some of papers still. So for example, one of our clients, Daiichi Insurance, they have 2,000 people just only for data entry work. And that's just reading paper forms or uh, paper documents of different kinds and putting it into the computer. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. So is your basic strategy now to, to focus on Flax Scanner or to use Flax Scanner as kind of a, an entry point and, and to build vertical services within, say, insurance or within uh, banking? Or... Uh, yeah, so yeah, we do both. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we found insurance companies and banks in that kind of finance industry. So yeah, that is our point that we should target on. So uh, now we are rolling out kind of same thing to other insurance companies. So for example, there are 200 insurance companies in Japan, and we have already got projects from 20 insurance companies. Even outside of Japan, for example, in the US, they they do the same thing. So we already have a sales branch in Austin, Texas. We found out so the industrial structure is exactly the same in Japan. What I find fascinating about this is using AI to read paper documents, to read paper forms. Is so when I was first starting my career in technology 30 years ago. Using AI to read paper documents was one of the most promising aspects of AI.、Mm. Mm-hmm. Are reading forms fundamentally、mm-hmm. that、yeah. difficult? Yeah. So I guess people might think reading papers is kind of easy version of AI. I、yeah. guess, but actually, it is very difficult. And I think there are two difficult points. One is reading letters. So actually, many companies have. Thought about using OCR actually five years ago, but at that time、uh, in OCR technology they didn't use deep learning, so they used only pattern matching.、Mm-hmm. So if the font is different from normal thing, OCR was didn't work well at that time. Okay. So, so very small changes would throw no, it off. No. Yeah, two years ago,、uh, people started to use deep learning for OCR, and then accuracy yeah improved a lot. Is the real challenge in this、um, recognizing the character shapes or trying to figure out like what it means in context? What what's the difficult part of this problem? Ah, yeah. So that that is the second thing. On the paper, there is so many information. So if you think about invoice. If you have two invoices from different companies, the format are totally different, right?、Mm-hmm. So for AI, it is already very difficult to understand what is what. Usually, in on an invoice, there are, I guess, twenty or thirty items, and each item is different, right? So, for example, this item is meaning a company name. This item is meaning a company address, and this, is, this item means bank. Information. So to understand that, actually, natural language understanding is needed. You know, I, I, it's really interesting how AI is getting applied to solve. Coming from an engineering point of view, this kind of information exchange should be very easy to standardize and to to solve. But in reality, and I mean, many attempts have been tried.、Mm. But in reality, you're right. Everyone formats things differently. Everyone、yeah. does things that's a tiny little bit differently.、Mm-hmm. That I guess without AI, you have to use people, and that's yeah. expensive. Yeah. So now, yeah, two thousand people in one insurance company are working on just only for data entry work. You mentioned before that some things that seem really easy to people are actually incredibly hard for AI to do. So, what what kind of tasks are, is AI good at, and what kind of things is it just bad at? AI is good at re- repetitive tasks. Yeah, I think people think about AI 
is a little bit too much like magic. So people think you can do anything with AI. What industries, what kind of companies do you think are going to benefit most from, from AI? This is a very wide question because, yeah. first of all, there are four AI categories. One is Internet AI, and the second one is Business AI, and the third one is Recognition AI, and the last one is Autonomous AI. And Internet AI is, for example, TikTok or Uber kind of apps. I mean, in the clothes web service, they use AI. So it's fundamentally optimization, yeah, recommendations. Yeah. yeah, so for example, on TikTok, there are so many videos, right. right? But how to show videos to you. Okay. So like that. And the second one is business AI. And this is for supporting office workers. And Cinnamon is in this category. And the third one is recognition AI. Uh, for example, finding uh, strangers in, I mean... Uh, facial recognition type AI? Uh, yeah, face, right. facial recognition or by a security camera. It finds uh, like strange people or finding uh, sick from medical images. All so right. that is recognition AI. Right. And um, the last one, autonomous AI, is for example, self-drive or AI speaker, that kind of things. So depending on the category, it you know, actually, is different. To hear you explain it that way, I mean, when you think about it, there, there really isn't such a thing as AI. It's this, this big collection of different technologies mm-hmm. and, and different approaches that are being used to solve very different problems. Mm-hmm. It's just we have a very trendy marketing word that tends to get applied to all of them. Mm-hmm. So Cinnamon is obviously focused on the business yeah, AI. Yes. So let's let's focus on that one. Where where okay. do you see who do you see benefiting most from business AI? Yeah, so in business AI I think yeah, many there are so much varieties, so I guess most of the companies can have that benefit. For example, one of our projects that we did with a bank, that client quite often invests foreign companies and their investment contract has 400 pages or 500 pages and the lawyer spent for example one week to extract 100 points from that huge document and then after that uh, the team discusses based on that 100 points but our technology could do it within 20 minutes i think um yeah ai is going to revolutionize and change the legal profession just as much as spreadsheets changed accounting mm. Mm. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Because I think we're, we're almost at a point, maybe we're already there, where an AI can understand a contract better than the average attorney can. Because mm. it's such a specialized, stylized language. Yes. Yeah. For human, lawyers and doctors, accountants, they're kind of high-skilled people. Yeah. But AI in some parts, it is yeah AI can do it. Well, yeah, I think, and and if you look at what happened with accounting in the eighties and nineties, this whole army of bookkeepers mm. just disappeared. Yeah, and the the only people that remained were the the consultants and mm. the people who could provide sort of financial strategy mm. and and that high value. Mm-mm. And uh, yeah, it would make sense if law, the legal profession, kind of went the same way. Yeah. But there are some things that AI cannot do. So there are three things. 
One is management, and the second one is creativity, and the third one is hospitality. So for AI, actually, Kebakura Jo is very difficult to replace. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I mean, in terms of creativity, since the, the 70s, there's been computers that could compose music or, or paint or something like that. Ah,、uh, yeah, so there's some AI to make music. So, AI is good at doing repetitive things.、Yeah. So, for example, yeah, you know, so there are so many songs that Beethoven made. If we train AI to learn the past Beethoven songs, actually, that AI can make a song like Beethoven. Yeah, I, I've not, I mean, AI has been really good at doing、um, like fugues, box. Style because it's so rigorous. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah,、But、so it, now AI can make, for example, not only Beethoven, but also Chopin. Like that kind of, yeah,、uh, how do you say, not very、uh, rule based. Right, right, okay. Yeah, but for AI, it is impossible to make new t y p e of songs. So, for example, if you go back to 15th century in Japan, And even though we bring AI to that point, if we do not have any songs that Beethoven made, it won't come up with it on its own. We cannot. Right, right. A lot of people say that Japan is kind of behind in AI, particularly compared to the US and China. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so to be honest, Japan is a lot behind compared to China and the US. But so I told you there are four categories of AI,、mm-hmm. but actually in business AI, Japan is a lot advanced. Really? Yeah, actually, Japan is the most advanced country in the world. Why is that? I guess there are two reasons. One is Japan is doing so inefficient things. Now, so they need to be efficient. Japan has the most paper, so it has, <laughs> it has the most demand for reading forms. That, that actually, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so I have seen the ranking before about、uh, automation potential ranking, and Japan is number one. But basically, I think that ranking is meaning the inefficient ranking. Well, I. I I don't think it's that different. I think it's actually measuring the same thing. Because if you look at where anytime innovation takes off,、mm-hmm. um, it's where there's the most need. Yes. So, I mean, I'm working a lot in energy, for、mm-hmm. example,、mm-hmm. and all of the really interesting innovative energy companies are not in Japan or the US. They're in Sub Saharan Africa、mm-hmm. or Latin America, where、mm-hmm. there's like a really strong need.、Mm-hmm. And I guess Japan just has a really strong need.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the second reason is open innovation. Yeah, I feel two years ago,、uh, most of big enterprises started to have, for example, open innovation department. They start to have a big mission to find good technology from outside of the company. So, you think Japanese companies have gotten a lot more open to working with startups recently? A lot more than before.、Yeah. So, in my first startup, Naked Technology, actually, very beginning of Naked Technology, we, we tried to sell AI because me and Hajime, we had a background of researching AI. And of course, at that time, we tried to reach 
enterprise, but it was impossible for me to, for us to set a meeting with a big company. Why do you think it changed? What do you think made it change so fast? I don't know. It, it wasn't fast because more than 10 years have passed, right? So is it fast? <laughs> I guess so. You know, it depends on what you're looking at. So like my, my first company, I started here in 1998. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really hard <laughs> to sell the big companies. So I guess from, from my point of view, it seems like the, the change happened very quickly. Mm. Um, maybe in the past 10 years or 15 years, Japanese companies have tried to do cost down. And in this 10 or 15 years, we have done everything that we can do about cost reduction. And so now they're looking at new technologies. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you mentioned you have an office now in in Austin. Uh, Are most of your customers from Japan or do you have a pretty global customer base now? Uh, Still more than 19% of our revenue is coming from Japanese companies. But we found that exactly same situation in the US. And yeah, of course, uh, we talk with our competitors as well, but uh, we feel the U.S. is one and a half years behind compared to Japan. In this business AI? Yeah, yeah, in this business AI. And, and it's targeting the same kind of industries, insurance yeah, and banks. exactly. And, huh. Now, a lot of Japanese startup founders have told me that VCs tend to discourage startups from going global mm-hmm. until like after the IPO and mm-hmm. after it's, it's safe. Did, mm-hmm. So your recent investment round, a lot of that money was earmarked to go global. Mm-hmm. So did you feel any of that pressure from the VCs or were your investors very supportive of the idea of going to the U.S.? Uh, they are supportive. One of the reasons that I started this company, Cinnamon, is to try global. Because in my previous company, we wanted to go global, but we couldn't. Mm-hmm. So if we cannot try global expansion, there is no meaningful for me. So to all of investors, I have already told that we want to do global expansion. So was it just the investors knew what they were getting into from the beginning? Or do you think there was something about cinnamon that made them more confident that it could work in the US? Yeah, I think so. Especially all of our management have experience in global management. So I guess our investors are feeling that probably the possibility is higher than other startups. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> All right. And, and what made you focus on the U.S. market rather than, say, Southeast Asia? Because you have such strong ties to Singapore and Taiwan, and the uh, U.S. market entry is so expensive. Yeah, I feel it. it's super expensive, but still U.S. is the best market after Japan because U.S. has three times bigger market and China has four times bigger market than Japan. But China is a lot behind in this business AI. Actually, we tried to find our competitors in China, but we couldn't. That's surprising. Yeah, so I guess sexy AI, like self-drive AI speaker, those kind of startups can get more than $100 million. So everyone's focusing on the sexy AI? Yeah. And you're focusing on business AI? 
Yeah, so business AI is. Kind Wait a minute, you you named you named your first company Naked Technology. <laughs> <laughs> it was too sexy. <laughs> That's a pretty sexy name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I guess business AI. If you have a business AI company in China, I guess it is very difficult to get money. All of my companies have been business to business sales. I've always liked B two B. It's、mm-hmm. it's simple.、Mm-hmm. Consumers are crazy and unpredictable, but businesses, at least on average, tend to behave rationally. Yeah, yeah. In the previous business was app business, right? And yeah, I felt it was it was very difficult to predict the users' behaviors. But at least for business. They calculate how much how much they invest and how much they can cost down or、uh, increase revenue. Yeah, the sales it's simpler. I yeah, find, right? Yeah. So, so how are you doing sales? So now you you've had to go through you've had to get good at sales <laughs> over the past three years.、Um, I notice you're doing a lot of kind of speaking events. Is that、mm-hmm. useful for for driving business? Uh, yeah, so thirty or forty percent of our clients are coming from our homepage. So they, so they write something on our form. On really? Yeah. So business to business, but it's mainly inbound web-based、yeah. marketing. Yes, and I think twenty、uh, to thirty percent are coming from exhibitions. So,、okay. for example, AI Expo. We have a booth, and then people come to our booth, and then we exchange business cards. Then it became leads. Okay.、Um, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to talk a bit about you. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs>、um, so last time we talked, we talked a lot about、uh, women in startups and women in tech,、mm-hmm. and so much has changed. And you have like two babies now. Yes. And so I wanted to ask you how that's changed things, how you've managed to run a startup with two little kids, and what's been the attitude of both business partners and potential customers. How do you make that work? Yeah, first of all, it is super tough. So, <laughs> I imagine, yes. <laughs> having a business and having two years old and one year old kids are super super tough. Now I do not have any time for myself, so working and dealing with my kids and then sleeping. That's it. <laughs> so that's my twenty-four hours. So it is tough. But having kids gave me so much influence. Our company mission is coming from the birth of my first kid, and around that point. I read a sad news about one Japanese young lady committed suicide because she worked too much, karaoke. And I guess if I read that article before the childbirth, probably I would thought, yeah, it is sad. But I guess I would forget about it、mm. after that. But I started to think. We shouldn't have this kind of working environment for the next generation. This working style sh- should not be remained to my kids, 
So you think AI is something that can sort of help? Yeah. Them? So now everybody is busy every day, right? And but if I think about myself, not all of my working time is very productive. So sometimes I do very repetitive tasks, yeah. which I don't want to do. So I thought if AI could do that part, my working time could be short. This is something I wonder about because I think as as startup founders, you and I and most of the disrupting Japan listeners are used to trying to optimize every minute of our time. There's never we can never do everything we want to do.、Mm. But I wonder how much, particularly in Japan, of the overtime work really is people who don't have enough time to do their job, and how much of it is just this、uh, this culture to do overtime、mm. and to to find work to do.、Uh, in that sense, I think Japan is changing. Yeah, I think it is because of Abe-san's work style revolution, and now. People start to think about working too much time is not a good thing. So culturally, I feel it is changing. Do you think it's also? Well, I think a lot of that's generational too.、Uh, I think young Japanese in their their twenties and thirties won't put up with that as much as、mm. the the generation before would. Yeah. Do you think Japan is being more accommodating and open to to working moms? To people who are trying to balance children and career, yeah, yeah, I feel so. And also, Japan, we will not have enough people, enough labor in ten years. So we need ten million people more to、yeah. maintain our current business. So we need to let mothers work and AI to work. And I mean, that's from a high level. I, I think everyone like agrees with that.、Mm-hmm. But there's always a gap between like the high level. It would be best for Japan if Japan becomes more open towards working women and、mm-hmm. working moms,、mm-hmm. and then the real everyday interaction with people. And, and do you think like the real everyday interaction with business partners and customers? You you felt that that change that people are becoming more open to it. Ah,、oh, I feel so. So, for example, when I was pregnant, our potential clients. Came to our office because they thought it was difficult for it was tough for me to. Oh, that's great! Yeah, like that, and they are a lot higher position than me. So, and they are potential clients. So, I was supposed to go to their office. Yeah, on, on several different levels, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, they came to our office. That's great to hear. Yeah. No, that that that's exactly the kind of thing I was asking about. That's a real shift in attitudes.、Mm. So customers have been supportive as well. That's fantastic.、Mm. Yeah.、Uh, what about your your parents? So last time we talked, you were saying that your your parents kind of secretly wanted you to be more of a traditional ojosama,、yes. <laughs> and and they failed. Yes. <laughs> And, and last time we talked, you mentioned they were still kind of disappointed. But have their opinions changed now that Cinnamon's become successful, or, or maybe now that they have grandchildren? Ah,、uh, yeah, they changed. So, so now, yeah,、uh, fortunately, some media cover me, so they sometimes see their daughter on newspaper that they subscribe. 
So they, now they feel, yeah, they are proud of their daughter. And they, they understand what you're doing as, yes. as a startup? Yeah. That's fantastic. It seems like there's been this really big shift in attitude. Again, to me, it seems really fast. Mm-hmm. Something in the last five or ten years. Mm-hmm. And back, in, back when you were at Todai, you were the only woman in your CS class, right? Yes. Is that changing? I don't know, but I guess there is no big, big difference. No? Mm. But, uh, but there is a big difference. So at that time, my friends thought I was crazy to start my own startup when I was a student. But now, most of students want to start their business, especially in my department. Because my department, uh, for example, CEO of Parkshaw Technology and yeah, CEO of Gnosi, graduate from that department. And so they ate, for example, ramen together, and then uh-huh. they became super rich, right? So they feel, yeah, I can do as well if he made it. Role models. Yes, Role exactly. Role models are so important. Exactly. You know, to be able to look at someone who's, you know, not that much older than you, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, I could do that. Yes. I could do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they changed a lot. And also, uh, more than 10 years ago, when I was a student, it was super difficult to raise funds. So at that time, I did $1 million Series A round, and it was one of the very big deals at that time. But now, $1 million is... It's small. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But yeah, especially at the University of Tokyo, Mm. they've got a really strong fund and very supportive venture environment Mm. there. Mm. So it is great for Japanese uh, star ecosystem. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's exciting to watch how fast it's changing. Yeah, it is surprising. Yeah. Well, listen, Miku, before we wrap up, I want to ask you again my magic wand question, which is if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, mm-hmm. anything at all, mm-hmm. the education system, the way people think about women founders, mm-hmm. uh, the way people think about risk, a- anything at all to make it better for startups and innovation in Japan, what would you change? So I have read a report before, and there is a big correlation between the percentage of startup founders and the percentage of GDP growth. There is a very strong correlation. And if the percentage of startup founders increases 1%, it impacts on half percent of GDP growth. Wow. So now Japan's GDP growth is 2%? Pretty slow, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very little, right? But if it can increase... 0.5%. 0.5%. It is a just big getting, growth. Just by getting more people to start, to try. Yes. yes. So I will change that. I think we're already seeing that. I mean, I think every year more and more startups are getting founded. Yeah, definitely it is increasing. Yeah, and I, I hope we just see that trend continue. Yes. <laughs> hope I can be a role model as well. I think you already have been. I really do. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, Miku, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me here. It was great to talk to you again. And we're back. 
Now, there are two things that came up in our discussion that I really want to dig deep into. First, I think it's amazing how much support Miku got from her clients when she was pregnant. Now, for those not familiar with Japanese business protocol, because of her age, the size of the companies, the fact that she was the vendor, I mean, every bit of Japanese business etiquette dictated that she must visit her clients at their offices. The fact that many of her customers were willing to overlook the traditional rules to make things a, a little bit easier for an expecting mother is awesome. It's encouraging. But I, I want to temper that encouragement a little bit. Women in Japan still have rough going in traditional companies, and these kinds of accommodations are not generally made. I think the reason for the discrepancy might be that Enterprise Japan views startups as somehow fundamentally different from traditional businesses. And they are. I mean, the CEOs wear t-shirts, women lead programming teams, there are no set office hours. No one is exactly sure what the rules are supposed to be, so people, or at least nice people, will tend to be more accommodating. Miku's potential customers probably would have treated her very differently if she'd been in sales at, say, Mitsubishi. But still, this is a great sign. And with all the abstract talk about making corporate Japan more friendly towards women, it's nice to see a concrete example. Second, Miku's comments that Japan is actually ahead of the U.S. and China in business AI goes against everything I've been hearing and reading on the topic. So I did a bit of research, and I think Miku has a real point here. The boundaries of AI research are being pushed in China and the U.S. to be sure. But most AI startups are using the same AI models and the same basic techniques, many of which have been around for decades. So, in terms of who will have the most advanced applications, well, that's going to be the startups with the best insights into their customers' needs, and those with the customers who have the biggest needs. And as Miku pointed out, Japan has a huge need for paper document reading. Solving the complex and difficult problems of Japan's corporate processes means that Cinnamon is more than ready to handle the comparatively streamlined corporate processes in the U.S. and Europe. And let's just take a moment to appreciate the irony here. The fact that corporate Japan has been so slow to modernize and its insistence on sticking to inefficient processes, that is the very thing providing a huge competitive advantage to Japan's business AI startups. If you want to talk more about AI or women founders, Miku and I would love to hear from you. So come by DisruptingJapan.com slash show 154 and let's talk about it.
If you leave a comment, I guarantee you that Miku and I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan was recently ranked as the third biggest business podcast in Japan, and that's really thanks to you. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but simply because listeners like you enjoy it and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups and innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.